think you're a guest. <laughs> what? I was teasing. What? Wow. It's so good to see you all tonight. And uh, I've got something kind of burning in my spirit that I want to share with you. So we're going to get right into the word. Is that okay? Can I pray first? Would you uh, just, just pray with me? Father, I just thank you for the spirit that we feel in this room right now. Lord, it's never a cheap thing to come into the presence of a holy God. Lord, we thank you that the righteousness that was paid and bought for us in our redemption is foremost on our hearts and our minds tonight, God. And as we gather in this room, my prayer is that our faith collectively here, collectively move the heart of God, collectively see the hand of God. God, I just thank you that these people who have come here tonight have come to hear something that's more than just entertainment, more than just a few words. But Lord, it was words that you chose to speak things into being. And so tonight, God, I give you my words. I give you my heart. I ask you to get me out of the way and help me articulate what I feel in my spirit for this church at this time. I thank you for the leadership in this house. I thank you for Pastor Randon and Lindsay. I thank you for the elders and the deacons and all those who serve in every capacity, knowing that what they do is as unto the Lord and for the kingdom of God. And tonight, God, as we look quickly into your word, there is no quick work but that the Holy Spirit can do anything. The Holy Spirit is in charge, and I thank you. In Jesus' name, amen. God bless you, and uh, I want to share a couple of things with you tonight. Uh, and uh, I'm so proud of what my kids are doing. And uh, I know that may sound condescending, but it's not. Uh, they're my kids. And uh, when I look at uh, my daughter and my son-in-law and all that God is doing and using them, it's just a good thing. It's an amazing thing. And thank you for supporting them. Thank you for loving them. It's not, let me just tell you, it's, it's not an easy road for any of us to walk. But it's better when we have people that we know love us and support us and pray for us. I have a church down in Waxahachie, Texas that does that for me. And my wife, Sharon, she couldn't be with us tonight. But uh, just know that we, we don't feel like guests. We're part of the family here. We're not going to be anywhere other than right here when we can. And, uh, and so we, we love you. Thank you for being here tonight. <clears throat> I have levied a, a challenge to my church, Pastor Eldon. I levied a challenge to my church in the first part of this year. And here was the challenge. The challenge was that if they would give me one year, one year of faithful commitment to become all that God has for them to become, that by the end of the year, after 12 months, 52 weeks of prayer and worship and teaching and becoming what God has, God has designed for us to become, which is a disciple. You see, folks, we don't understand sometimes. Some of us want, some of us understand what it means to be a believer, but some, we don't understand what it means to be a disciple. You know, the Bible says that demons believe. So there's, there's, a, there's, a, there's a place where we need to get to that will change the circumstances it will change your paradigm. It will change the way you think, the way you act, the relationships in your life. It will flat change everything about who you are if you decide that you want to be a disciple. 
Folks, some folks don't want to be a disciple. You know, when Jesus, in his ministry, on several occasions, he turned to a crowd and he said, you know what? You can't be my disciple unless you understand that you are totally inefficient in your life. You can't do nothing. In fact, let me take it a step further. If you don't hate your mama, hate your daddy, hate your brother, sister, and even hate yourself, you can't be my disciple. And the, and the crowd's like, what? You want me to be a hater? No, that's not what he meant. What he meant was, you got to love me above everything. you got to love me more than anything in your life. You've got to deny yourself. You've got to take up your cross, which is your assignment in this life. Your assignment wasn't to die on a cross. That was Jesus' deal. So don't try to do that. Don't become a martyr. But what Jesus is wanting us to do is decide and help and look and dig and find out what it is that my cross represents. Deny myself, pick that up, and take your turn after Christ. You know, he said, pick up your cross if anyone wants to come after me. Take up your cross and follow me. That's two different things. Pick up your cross. Come after me means it's time to take your turn. Follow me means doing what I did with my cross. Jesus died for you and I to be redeemed and put back together with God, right? What, what's your cross? See, you can't, you, can't, you can't carry your cross unless you know what it is. And you can't know what it is unless you deny yourself because that's the only way you get to find out. Am I making any sense to anybody? Because what I'm trying to get to real quickly is the first thing that a disciple has to know when he's decided that I'm going to differentiate my life as a believer into that life of a disciple. I don't want to just be a believer. I don't want to just float around. I don't want to be blown around by every wind of doctrine. I don't want to, I don't want to be immature. I don't want to know. I don't, I don't want to be offended around every corner when the pastor doesn't say hi to me. Or be blown around from church to church because Mr. Wonderful's down the street and he's got a word for me. It's like somebody said to me the other day. He says, Pastor, we got all these new people coming into church. I said, yeah, it's because they left the one they were at. I don't get real excited about that. Let me tell you what does excite me, though, is when I see people come in the door and an unchurched person and the light goes on, on their, in their eyes and you can see that twinkle like, oh, my God, I've never heard this. Oh, my God, that's going on in my life right now. There's something, there, there's something to, this, to this word and, and in, this, in this scripture that I'm reading that what the pastor just said, just that blows my mind because that actually fits in my life right now. That's what excites me. The, le- the first lesson in becoming a disciple is learning the value. And I'm going to, listen, there's a couple of four-letter words you can use in church. Did you know that? First one is Give. Second one is obey. There's probably some more, but those two just popped into my head. But I want to talk to you a little bit tonight about obedience and the process that obedience demands. See, obedience is not a gift. Salvation's a gift. Obedience isn't a gift. Obedience is a process. But we want to treat obedience like a gift, like, okay, God, make me obedient. 
That's not the way it works. You can pray that prayer and then all, everything in your life go to hell in a handbasket. And you're like, wait a minute, I pray, God, give me obedience. Well, he said, okay, I'm going to give you some obedience. And he says, instead of praying to get out of your circumstances, why don't you pray to get through your circumstances? You see, the process, ladies and gentlemen, produces something in us. James said it like this. He said, patience has a perfect work. So that you can be complete, entire, and lacking nothing. That's what patience does. And let me just tell you something. You have to, to be patient. you got to be obedient. It's like somebody said to me a couple of weeks ago in my church. I tried that tithing thing. I said, really? How'd that work out for you? I didn't get nothing back. Really? You didn't get up the next day? Fog up the mirror? Well, yeah. I said, so... Is your family sick? No. So the only, the only thing you're looking for is a cash return. Obedience is so much more. It's the value of obedience in our life. It's learning the meaning of obedience. It's learning the process of obedience. I want you to turn real quickly over to a very familiar uh, scripture over in Deuteronomy chapter 28. You've all read it for probably 50 million times. And uh, I'm just going to read you the first couple of verses. Verse 1 and verse 1 says this over in Deuteronomy chapter 28. Now it shall come to pass. You know what that means? Hello? He didn't say this might happen. He said, this will come to pass if, if you diligently obey, diligently obey. See, some people think that delayed obedience is obedience. No, 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 no. Delayed obedience is disobedience. Some people think that I'll obey some of what you said to me, God. And they call that obedience. That's disobedience. See, what he's saying here is you have to diligently obey. That means you have to obey to the minuscule, very jot and tittle of exactly what the Lord has said to you. Diligently obey. If you will do that, let's see what it says. And you will... Uh, diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God. You know, that's another problem. Isn't it? That's another problem. Because we have people that they listen to lots of voices. The problem we got today, folks, is the world likes to give you lots of white noise. How many of you know what white noise is? It's just chatter. It's just meaningless nothing. Whether it's television or whether it's different things that you crowd your life with, those things become clutter that, that when the Lord wants to speak to us, I mean, it's like, I thought God said to do that. But he didn't. Because you had too much noise going on. He said, 
It shall come to pass if you diligently obey the voice of the Lord your God to observe carefully all his commandments which I command you this day that the Lord your God will set you high above all nations on the earth and all blessings shall come upon you and over... This is the part I love. Overtake me. The blessings are going to chase me down. I don't have to worry, fret. I don't even, it doesn't even say you got to pray. It says, Brother Eldon, that they will chase me down. Wow. Chase me down. Chase me down, blessings. Because of what? Because you obey the voice of the Lord. Obedience is the very first ingredient. So that's what I challenged my church with. I said, here's what we're going to do, church. Over the next year, I'm going to give you the ingredients of becoming a disciple. The ingredients. And the first ingredient is obedience. Learning how to obey. Let me tell you something that I've, I've learned. I've really become kind of a... Uh, uh, just voracious student of Hebrew. Now that may sound a little strange to you, but let me just say to you, uh, the Bible was written in Hebrew. <laughs> okay, we wanna we wanna take the New Testament and understand all the Greek. But the truth is, if you go back and read the New Testament in Hebrew, it'll make more sense. Let me let me just tell you something that'll help you in your study if you if you're into these kinds of things. There's, there's a big difference between Greek and Hebrew, okay? The Greeks, if you'll remember, were into structure, architecture, form. You know, they were the ones that came up with form follows function, you know, and all that kind of stuff. And, and so when the Greeks would interpret the Hebrew, they would do it in terms of, of uh, picture forms. Like if you said the hand of God, that meant the hand of God, form. But in the Hebrew, the hand of God meant security, provision. See, in the Hebrew, the word is action. What, is the, what does it do? It's not, it's not what it is. It's what does it do? So, let, so watch this. The word obey, did you know the word obey doesn't have a Hebrew translation? Let me tell you what the word obey was to the Hebrews. It's a word called Shema, S-H-E-M-A. Now, here's what the word Shema means. To listen, to hear, to understand, to internalize, and to respond. So when Paul said, faith comes by hearing, that's the same word as Shema. Obedience. Faith comes by internalizing, by hearing, by responding and doing something. That's how faith comes. Faith comes by hearing. Faith comes by Shema and Shema by the Word of God. So, so what, what comes alive at that point is that, wow, if I learn how to obey the Word of God, my faith comes alive. I don't have to struggle anymore. I don't, have to, I don't have to be oppressed by, by, by just fighting and, and I just know what the Word of God says. So all of a sudden, 
it becomes alive to me because Shema means that I've listened to it. I've internalized it. And I do something. See, it's an action word. Shema is an action word. That means you do something with it. So, obedience. Very important. I want to tell you a story. Actually, I don't want to tell you a story. I want you to turn to Luke chapter 5. I'll let Jesus tell you a story. It's better than me anyway, right? You don't have to agree so quick, Lindsay. Luke chapter 5. And I'm going to read the first 11 verses. You guys all there? Okay, watch this. So it was as the multitude pressed about him, talking about Jesus. He was walking, by the way, down the side of the lake. In fact, it says, to hear the word of God, he stood by the lake of Gennesaret, which is the Sea of Galilee, which is really not a sea, by the way. It's a, it's a, it's a lake. And saw two boats standing by the lake, but the fishermen had gone from them and were washing their nets. Then he got into one of the boats. Now, let me stop right here for a second. You have to understand that in that day, a boat was the nearest and most wonderful, valuable possession a fisherman could have. Not all fishermen had boats. But if you had a boat, you were doing really well. And uh, this boat was probably handed down from generation to generation. And this happened to be Simon Peter's boat. And let me tell you something about boat, about those guys, the way they looked at their boats. They took meticulous care of their boats because it had to last. It was their life, you understand. That's how they made their living. That's, that was their boat. You don't mess with my boat. And immediately, Jesus is pressed against the water and jumps in Peter's boat. Didn't ask. Now, Simon's, Simon Peter's looking at him, and I'm sure... Some thoughts are going through his head. Who's this dude jumping in my boat? You know the dumb and, dumbest question on the, on the planet? Can I ride your Harley? Some of y'all will get that. You don't just go jump in somebody's boat. And here's, here's another thing. You know, Peter wasn't exactly born with a long fuse. I mean, you know what I mean? He had a short fuse, and he was like Mr. Hothead. So James and John were were there, and they were watching this, and I promise you they were rolling their eyes like, oh, it's fixing to happen now. This guy has jumped in Peter's boat, and James and and John were looking at it like, oh, you don't know, it's on, because he's fixing to go over there and jerk this guy out of his boat by the back of the neck. But that's not what happened. And let me just tell you something. Sometimes Jesus gets right in the middle of your business uninvited. And you know why he does that? Because he wants to see if you qualify to be a disciple. He wants to know how you're going to react when he gets in your business. Peter passed the test. He, he, he He wasn't real sure what was going on. But these people were listening to Jesus preach the word. And so he said, hey, you know, I'll help out that poor preacher. Get in my boat. Jesus says, 
push, him, push me out a little bit, Peter. So he did. So he got into one of the boats, and, he, and it was Simon's, and he asked him to push out a little from the land. He sat down, Jesus, and he taught the multitudes from the boat. And when he had stopped speaking, he said to Simon, Launch out into the deep and let down your nets for a catch. But Simon answered and said to him, Master, we have toiled all night. By the way, don't you know that this guy, by the way, had a reputation of being a great fisherman. Now, great fishermen don't fish during the day. Do you understand that? The fishermen fished at night. Because that's when the fish came to the surface. And that's where their nets could gather them in. During the day, it was hot, and the fish went down where it was cool. So you couldn't catch them. So during the day, Jesus asked Peter, go out into the deep, and let's go fishing. And Peter's like, you don't understand. You have never fished a day in your life, and you're trying to teach me how to fish? And his buddies on the bank are rolling their eyes, and they're going like, look at it. <laughs> Who is this crazy person? But he did it. Now he whined all the way out there. Oh, but you don't understand, Jesus. Is, we, we fished all night. We, we, we did everything. We, I mean, come on now. It just, but okay. See, most of us can listen. But there's a difference between listening and hearing. This is a process I'm trying to get through to you. Obedience is a process. And you can get stuck on listening and miss a blessing. You hear me? You can get stuck on listening and never really hear and internalize what it really means to you. Let me tell you something. When God, when God speaks to me, either through this word, through a worship service, through a preacher, through, or through me even preaching. Sometimes I preach to myself and most of the times the people are going like, he's talking to himself. I know that. But when I hear something like that from God, it becomes revelation to me. I don't just blurt it out. I try to internalize it. I say, God, why are you telling me this? What do you want me to know? What are you trying to teach me in this process of obedience? Because I want to be obedient. It's never okay to be disobedient. It's never okay to be disobedient to the Word of God. Never okay. You know why? Because if you go ahead and read the other part of chapter 28 of Deuteronomy, it says, uh, if you choose not to be obedient, you're under a curse. Now, that's where God's words that wasn't a preacher's words. That wasn't some, some guy trying to get an offering from you. That's just, that's just the words of the Father saying that if you don't obey me, if you don't hearken to my words, if you're not diligently trying to listen, hear, accept, and respond to my commands, then you're going to live under a curse. Or you're going to get stuck somewhere in the process and your life will not move forward. See, a whole bunch of us get stuck. And we whine and we complain and we give God a million reasons why, why it's not going to work. Do you really think that it's not going to work if God's in it? 
Do you really think that? Peter was faced with a life-changing decision. His choice to be obedient completely, listen to this, this is for somebody in this room, his choice to be obedient changed his life forever. And guess what? It helped change your life and my life. Sitting in this room a couple of thousand years later. We're really good at giving Jesus all the right excuses why something doesn't work. Or we don't, we don't do it that way. We don't, we've, this is the way we've always done it. I love that commercial. You ever seen that commercial where that, that goofy looking couple comes over and knocks on the door? We all bundle. Yes. You know, that's a scary couple. I'm just going to be honest with you. If somebody came over to me and said, offered me a puppy and said, look, we all bundle. I'm like, hmm, bundle this. But, but, now see, y'all got dirty minds. I was being just honest and pure. Y'all trying to bring me down to the gutter. I don't know what that meant. Peter's purpose was going to be fulfilled by the process of obedience. Obedience isn't, isn't just something that you try. Obedience is the lifestyle of a believer. It's the very first ingredient in becoming a disciple. You can't follow Christ if you are disobedient. It's not that you can't try. You can. But if you're not sold out to the vision, when things get tough, when your cross requires a cost, when your purpose requires something that you don't think you can afford, then all of a sudden... This whole Christian thing don't look so pretty no more. This whole discipleship thing, you know what? I'm not so sure I, I'm not so sure I can do that. See, because you're asking me for more than I got. Well, let me just tell you something. Every time God asks you for something that you don't think you can afford, there's always pieces missing and left out on purpose. You know why? Because he wants you to dig for it. He wants you to seek me. Knock on the door. Seek me diligently. The Bible says to seek me first. And my righteousness. And all this stuff that you think you got to have. I'm going to give it to you. The blessings are going to overtake you. That's the life I want to live guys. I don't know about you but that's where I want to be. I, want, I don't even want to have to get up. I want the devil to say, oh my God, he woke up. That's what I want. Peter, Peter's purpose was going to be fulfilled by the process of obedience. You know what's interesting? I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to end with this. What's interesting, one word that God gives you that you diligently obey can perform a miracle for you. Peter obeyed, and he got so much fish, his boats were sinking, he called his buddies over, like, come on, y'all, we got, like, this is cool. More, more than they could hold. By the way, what do you think they did with all those fish? 
It doesn't say. But what, but what does a fisherman do with fish? Hello? Peter was walking around with lots of cash. Because he sold some fish, a bunch of fish. And so when Jesus said, okay, come on with me. All right. My pockets were full of money. I mean, did you ever think about things? I mean, I, maybe I'm just strange. I think about stuff like that. Because God wants us to walk away from the obedience process with blessings that are unfathomable. So you need to obey. I need to obey. We need to walk through this process of obedience. And the process means that God has confirmed you in his sight. Did you get that? The fact that you're having to go through something, the obedience that you learn, the patience that produces perfection in your life will make you entire and complete. And I want to be that for Jesus. He didn't tell Abraham where he was going. He didn't tell Moses what to say to Pharaoh. He, he, he didn't say, Esther, I want you to go talk to the king. Here's what you're going to say. She's like, I'm going to get killed. He let, she, see, God leaves some pieces out to see if, you, if he gets in your business, you'll follow him. You really want to be a disciple? Then, then follow. Pick up your cross. Discover who it is that your assignment in this life. And follow him. Go hard after God. I'm going to finish up with a little testimony. About three weeks ago. No, about six weeks ago. Sorry. I'm preaching in my church. And I noticed this guy come in the side door. And he's all thugged out. He's got the hat on sideways. He looked like he's in about his 40s or 50s. Sweatpants, heavy jacket. I, he made me nervous, I'll be honest with you. Walks across the back of the sanctuary, sits down against the back wall next to my ushers. And so I finished my message. I had an altar call. Here he comes. Coming down front. Got his hands in his pockets. Like, oh, this could be bad. He walks up to the front, takes his hat off, and he says, he whispers in my ear, he says, Pastor, I, I, I need to give my life right. I went, okay, brother, we're going to get your life right. Okay. So I started praying. I said, you, do, you, do you love Jesus? Yes, I love Jesus, but I've been away from Jesus. I was raised in church. Had all kinds of earrings and nose things and just, I mean, like, okay, come on, God, help me here. Comes down front. And then that, what the Lord told me when I moved to Waxahachie. He said, if you'll take the ones nobody wants, I'll give you the ones everybody wants. I put my arms around him and I began to pray with him. He literally fell. This is a big boy. He fell in my arms and started crying from his feet. I mean, he was boo-hooing, weeping and wailing and gnashing of teeth. Okay? And I said, it's going to be okay. He says, no, you don't understand, Pastor. I said, yes, I do. I've been, no, you don't understand. I said, brother, I understand. I was a sinner saved by grace. He says, no, you don't understand. Please let me explain. I said, tell me, brother. He said, I got up this morning. 
I have 15 children. 12 by my first wife, 3 by my current wife. I lost my job. She lost her job. I'm a security guard and I'm trained to, and I'm carry, I carry a, a weapon on me at all times. And he had it in his pocket. He said, I got up this morning and the devil told me to kill every one of my kids and then kill myself. And I was looking for a dumpster to put them in when I found your church. Let me tell you what a word did. He drove around the shopping center where my church is looking for a dumpster. It was going to be a national news event. He walked up to our church front door and my greeter went outside and said, do you want to come in? He says, oh, no, no, man. I'm, I'm just, I'm looking for something else. He said, no, no, why don't you just come in? Just come in for a second. No, he fought him the whole way. He said, all right, I'll come in. That's when he came across the back of my sanctuary. Came up, gave his life to the Lord. Saved 15, 16 people in the process from murder and suicide. One word. One word. And not even, a, not even a theological bone in it. Just come inside. Just come inside. Just come inside. And then whatever I said that moved his heart to come down front, I don't know. I don't even know what I said. Let me tell you about this guy. His name is O'Neill McCowan. What I found out about Mr. O'Neill, number one drug dealer in Ellis County. Was, was the number one pimp in Ellis County. The judge knew him by name and had his social security number memorized. And when I called the judge to tell him that O'Neill was in my church, saved, he goes, right. I brought him down to meet the judge. And Judge Gene Calvert, who's a friend of mine, he said, you're not going to believe this. I went to school with this guy. He has been winning people to the Lord every week. You think my car looks funny with the big decal on the back? He put, that's where it came from. He went to the printer and got the biggest decal to fill up the back window of his, of his car. And he drives around town saying, Covenant Life Church, we got a place for you. Wow. And I'm just like, go, brother. I drove by. I, there's, a, there's a place in town called the Chicken Shack. I'm serious. It's called the Chicken Shack. I drove by the Chicken Shack the other day. Here's O'Neill out with about 18 or 20 uh, African-American people, and they're just talking to him, and he's preaching. And I honked my home, and I said, that's my pastor. That's my pastor. I whipped it around, man. I went back there, and they all asked me a question. Where can I get one of those decals? I'm like, you know, you just need to come to church first, and we'll work this out. <laughs> I'm not sure who's riding around with decals on my church. On the, you know, I see him on the side of the road with it like this. <laughs> There's my pastor. <laughs> I'm not sure how that's going to work out. But I just want you to know obedience is so important. And you and I, if we go through the process, if we let God process us with obedience, I promise you, 
It'll change your life. You won't recognize yourself in a year. God bless you. Thank you.